You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Air Church. We exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus who love him and love their neighbour. We pray these sermons serve to deepen your love for and obedience to Jesus. And whilst we trust these podcast sermons bless you, we would not want them to replace you gathering with us personally as you're able to or committing to a local gospel church near you. So if you want to explore Jesus more, gather with us, or find a church near you, please get in touch through our website, harvestair.church. You are loved. Uh, Grab your Bible and open up to Matthew chapter 7. And we are in our final uh, section in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We've called this series Kingdom Living how real disciples live under Jesus' rule. And really these last, last week and this week really are decision time, response time. What are we going to do about all that Jesus has been saying to us? So Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29, I'm going to read those verses and then I'm going to pray for us. Please do keep your Bible open so you can see where these things come from for yourself. Hear the words of the living God. Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Let's pray for God's help. Father, we pray as we already have and as we've just read that in this moment we wouldn't just hear what you have to say to us, but that we would hear, that we would trust, that we would turn, and that we would respond in obedience, and that in the grace that Jesus gives us, we would be able to live these things out along with the strength of his Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I don't know if you've ever had a chance to uh, visit the Angel of the North in Newcastle. There'll be a picture of it coming up for you, hopefully, uh, on the screen. Uh, Zoe's brother uh, lives in Newcastle, England, and one of the first times we went down to visit him, uh, we visited the Angel uh, of the North. And one thing you'll notice about it um, is that it has really uh, wide wingspan and is built in an area or uh, high up in an area which experiences high winds. So it's been designed for 100 mile an hour winds. And obviously what you see, what I see when we visit it, we don't see the foundations underneath, but underneath are these huge pillars, uh, these huge blocks of concrete, which enable uh, the angel of the north to be able to withstand those high winds. Uh, Those eight pillars are three meters in diameter, so lots of concrete, lots of steel, which enables the angel of the north to stay standing when that bad weather comes, which I'm sure in the northeast comes very frequently, as it does in our part of the world too. Foundations, when it comes to buildings, when it comes to things like that, foundations are essential. Without them, everything else falls apart. You get that part wrong, and everything else goes wrong too. 
And in Matthew 7, Jesus is getting us to consider this morning what foundation you and I are building our lives on. So let me ask that question of us for a moment. What foundation are we building our lives on? If someone was to ask you what foundation you're building your life on, what answer would you give them? What determines the decisions you make? What determines what you invest your time and your energy and your affections in? What do you lean on when life gets hard? Because the reality is we're all building our lives on something. It might be family. It might be a relationship. It might be comfort. We, we live to, to, to make sure our lives are as comfortable as possible. Therefore, that determines how we live. Our foundation is education or intellect. The, the, the gaining of knowledge and getting good grades and getting a good job, career advancement. That's our foundation. That's what will steady us up and provide us with stability in life. Money, maybe ourselves. We build our foundations on ourselves. Maybe it's faith, which is a good thing, on Jesus. Maybe for you it once was that. Or you said you used to live your, build your life on Jesus, but you don't really say you do anymore. Or maybe you come here this morning and you're saying, I need a foundation. My life does feel like it's unsteady, like it's falling apart. I do need a foundation and I don't know where to turn. Let me ask you how those foundations that you've built your life on, how have they worked out for you? What have difficult circumstances in your life revealed about those foundations? As the creator and savior of humanity, Jesus is the only foundation upon which you and I can truly build our lives. That's what he's getting us to see this morning. Everything else will ultimately be shifting and temporary. But Jesus here this morning offers you, offers me something solid and eternal. How much do we need that? The response he's calling for from us this morning is this, if I am wise, if you are wise, if we are wise, we will build our lives on Jesus's authoritative words. If we are wise, we will build our lives on Jesus's authoritative words. So the first thing we see together this morning is this, if I am wise, I will build my life on Jesus' words. As we mentioned already, we're coming to the words the end of Matthew 5 to 7, which we've been in for the last three months. And Jesus has been calling us to make this urgent response, an urgent response to what, what he's been saying, all that he's been teaching. He's not left any room for indecision or delay. It's not take it or leave it here. He hasn't even said, here's two options and, and maybe choose between them. It's here are two options. You need to choose this one. You need to choose this one. You need to choose me. You need to choose life. Only this one leads to abundant life now and eternal life in the future. And so once again, Jesus here is he's really kneeling down for one last time what choice we have, what response we should make. And in verse 24 to 29, as we read, these two responses are those who hear and do what he says and those who hear and don't do what he says. Look down with me, verse 24. Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them and then verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. So Jesus is teaching us, okay, as we sit here right now and listen to his words, he's teaching us something really important here. It's not enough to just listen. It's not enough to just hear. 
His words must change our lives. We have to do something about them. We have to respond. He calls us to respond by obeying them. Verse 21 last week um, really highlighted that for us. On the final day, it will, will be those who, who do the will of my Father, not just those who say they believe in God or say they follow Jesus or sit under teaching or read their Bible. It's those who do the will of my Father. Uh, the author and teacher Chris Green, um, I came across this a long time ago. It's always stuck with me. He talks about how ultimately we need to listen to the Sermon on the Mount, but we have to get the Sermon off the Mount and apply it to our lives, and live it out. That's what Jesus is calling us to do here this morning. It's time to act. We can know Jesus' teaching in the Bible inside out. We can come here every Sunday and hear someone preach about Jesus. You can do that for decades. You can even do that for a lifetime. But if you don't act on it, if you just hear it, but then don't do anything, it's a complete waste of time. And in fact, it's worse than just a waste of time. Obedience to Jesus' words isn't just a good way to spend your time. It's the only sure and steady way to live your everyday life and be guaranteed eternal life. That's what's at stake here this morning. Jesus says it like this, verses 24 to 27. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Jesus here gives us the picture that we need to understand the consequences and the response that he's calling for. Two decisions. One's wise, one's foolish. Two foundations. One is rock, one is sand. Two destinies. One is still standing. One leads to destruction. That's what's before us this morning. Choosing to hear Jesus' words yet not believe them, not trust them and obey them is like building our house on sand. That's what he tells us. Sand, if you were to try and choose something to build on, sand is just about the worst foundation you could build on. There's no solidity. And we learn that, right? We learn that from a very young age as kids as we build sandcastles on the beach we are taught that lesson when the waves come in or the tide comes in and just easily wipes him away. So too with those who hear Jesus' words but don't do anything about them or those who choose to ignore him altogether. The waves and the winds of life beat us up and they do, right? They leave us feeling as though our world has fallen apart. Does that resonate with you this morning? And maybe not right now, maybe in the past, or it might do in the future. Those who hear Jesus' words but don't do anything about them or choose to ignore them, the waves and the winds of life will beat you up and leave you feeling fallen apart. Yet those who build their lives on Jesus' words, those who hear, those who trust with their hearts and obey, their lives can withstand that wind and waves and nothing will ultimately be able to bring them down. So what does Jesus, doing Jesus' word, look like? How do we actually do Jesus' word? Well, we have to hear it first, okay? So let's not take that for granted. We've been, we have been doing that. We need to hear Jesus' word. We need to listen to it. We need to read his word in the Bible. We need to hear it preached. 
We need to understand it more with the help of other Christians. And then as we hear it, we need to trust it and treasure it. We need to realize its worth and its wisdom. We need to realize that in these words, in Jesus, are the words of eternal life. We need to trust and treasure Jesus himself. He is the word made flesh. That's what we remember at this time of year, isn't it? We devote ourselves to written words on pages in order to encounter the visible word in the person of Jesus. We will obey Jesus' words because we love him. We need to encounter him so we hear him, we encounter him, we trust him and love him, and then we obey him. And then when we wander away at times or slip up or make mistakes, which we will do even as Christians, we repent of those things and return to him. That's what it means to do his word, to hear it, trust it, obey it. Why must we do it? Because of what Jesus has already um, shown us, the picture he's already given us. Because storms will come. Storms will come in our lives. Whether it's our own sin, our own failures, the chaos and the fallout from our own decisions, our own choices. Maybe it's the sin of others around us or against us. Maybe it's suffering. And suffering too is ultimately the result of cosmic sin, that first sin in the garden. We live in a fallen world. The storm of suffering. We live in a broken, evil, sinful world where there's wars and famines, there's injustice and oppression. If we think about it, really, maybe for our generation, this is the third Christmas in a row we've entered with a real sense of kind of gloom over it. Two years of COVID, one year of war, one year of cost of living crisis. We're being considered, maybe particularly in this generation, where our hope is, where our foundation is, where our trust is. Storms can also look like, maybe for the Christian, pressure and persecution for our faith. Those storms will come. But if we build our lives on Jesus, we can withstand those things. We can stand firm in those things. But if we don't, if we don't, our life won't just be fractured or cracked. If you look down at the verses, verse 27, it won't just be fractured or cracked. It won't just fall. Great was the fall of it your life will eventually collapse. So why do we need to build our lives on Jesus' word? Because storms will come, and ultimately, as Jesus has already been pointing us to last week, judgment will come. Really, the the rain and the floods and the wind and the waves here point beyond just earthly, uh, earthly storms, but to the final judgment of God. Will our lives withstand that day? the day that he's already been talking about in the paragraph above. The reality is that if our lives, only if our lives are built on Jesus, only if we have been saved by him from our sin, will we be able to withstand God's just judgment on that day. The day when our hearts and lives will be revealed, as verse 22 reminded us last week. But something important, okay, something important to note here for you and me is before we can build our lives on Jesus' words, before we respond in obedience, and we, sh- we can't take this for granted, we need to get this in the right order, before we can build our lives on Jesus' words, we first need to be covered by Jesus' blood. We need to be saved by him first. Building our lives on Jesus is only possible 
when we first recognize we can't do that, and by nature, we don't want to build our lives on his words. We can't build our lives on his words. We can't perfectly meet the just and lawful demands of God, the demands that he places on our lives. The law expressed and summarized by Christ as loving God and loving neighbor. The, the, the golden rule that he talked about in verse 12, do to others, uh, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. I'm pretty sure I feel, we feel in that just this morning, right? You and I can't perfectly live these things out. We can't do it, and if we're honest, we won't do it. Not only is total obedience to Jesus not possible by our sinful nature, but we also choose not to build our lives on his words. We actively build our lives on our own wants and desires. As I've shared with you guys before, a friend of mine helpfully defines sin, which is what that is. Building our lives on our own wants and desires is sin. It's saying to God, stuff you, I'm in charge, no to your rules. Stuff you, God, I'm in charge, no to your rules. We can't obey, we won't obey, we need Jesus. Jesus who can perfectly obey. Jesus, who has a sinless nature. Something we're so starkly reminded of at this time of year. Matthew 1, 21 to 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. He couldn't be born of man. He had to be born of a virgin by the Spirit in order to be sinless. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. He will save his people from their sins. That's what he came to do. Jesus, who perfectly built his life on God's commands for us, is through recognizing our need of him, repenting of our sinful and stubborn attempts to build our lives on ourselves, to build our lives on sand, because that's what that's doing. It's recognizing that, repenting of that, and then trusting in him. And when we do that, we're credited with his obedience his righteousness. As we sang about, he is our defense. He is our righteousness when we trust in him. And then, and only then, can we go about the work of building our lives on his words. Being a doer is only possible when we recognize that Jesus had to do it all for us first. That's why it's good news. Never graduate from that. We never move on from that. We move on in maturity, we move on in obedience, but we never graduate from the grace that allows us to do that and that gives us the certainty and the forgiveness as we go about that. What Jesus does for us, we can't earn that. No amount of money or good works can buy that. It's a free gift to be received. The evangelist Glenn Shrivener says, he is the giver we just received. That's what it means to trust and believe. He is the giver we just received. That's what it means to trust and believe. It's a free gift to be received, and based then on that foundation, we get to build our lives on Jesus' words. We get that foundation given to us through repentance and faith, and then we get to build on that in the strength of the Spirit. How do we go about that? 
everyday examples of building our lives on Jesus' words. Well, if you think about, about yourself personally, the decisions we make, how we use our money, we've been thinking about all of these things. Really, it's the whole Sermon on the Mount. The decisions we make, how we use our money, what we invest our time in, all of these need to be guided by Jesus' words. If we're Christians, we need to build our obedience on Jesus' words here in the sermon. And we need to take note of what he's really been driving at here. We need to build our lives, our obedience on the kind of obedience that he calls for here. Heart-deep obedience. Because we're so prone to drift into dry external observance only. He calls for heart-deep obedience that flows from a love for Jesus. He's been trying to stop us becoming those who in Matthew 15 later on, he accuses of being those who honor him with his lips, but their heart is far from him. We need to do it individually. We need to build our marriages and our families on Jesus' word. Marriages and families must be built on Jesus, on his words. Live them out his way. They will not last. They will not be joyful or flourish as they were designed to if Jesus and his words are not foundational. When it comes to work, we need to build our lives on the foundation of Jesus' words too. If Jesus' words are not the foundation and motivation for our work, then we will potentially become lazy, easily frustrated, continually discontent, and maybe even dishonest. And we're going to be thinking in the new year, we're going to be in a series where we're thinking about how Jesus calls us to live out uh, our lives in things like marriage and parenting and work and family and all those kind of things. So come back and hear more about how we live these things out in those things. What about the church? Well, Jesus himself, his blood, his words are our foundation. He is our cornerstone. That's how the Bible speaks about him. We cannot and we will not build anything of eternal significance unless we build it on him and his words. Our church will die if we drift from him. This church, any church, will die if we drift from his words, his grace, and his forgiveness. So we need to be about that. This church, we together must build everything on Jesus' words, on Jesus himself, on the grace of the gospel and all of its implications for our lives. What about society? Well, we are in a unique season um, as a Western society in the UK. In many ways, we're in a unique season where we are abandoning and have been really abandoning for quite a while now the historical Christian foundation which gave us so many of the virtues and the morals and the ethics that we still long for. They've all come from Jesus' teaching. If you want to think more about that or you're like, I'm not sure about that, uh, I can point you to some places where even non-Christians are writing books and talking about that in a significant way. Things that come from Jesus, like equality, compassion, love, freedom, generosity, human rights, gratitude, forgiveness, self-control, protecting the weak and the vulnerable, family, children, marriage, all of these things that we now assume come from Jesus. What remains to be seen is if we can still experience the fruit of those things whilst abandoning the root of being in Christ. What remains to be seen is if we can still experience the fruit of these without them being rooted in a heart-deep obedience to Jesus. And it's not looking promising. Rebecca McLaughlin, in her book, uh, Confronting Christianity, in her first chapter, 
talking about the, the relevance of Christianity. She quotes um, a, a study or an article written in 2016 by Harvard School of Public Health. Uh, and essentially, it comes down to this, trying to talk about how the words of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, of Christianity, is still so impactful, still so relevant. The authors go on to outline the mental and physical health benefits that are correlated with regular religious participation. For most Americans, it's an American study, but it applies to our circumstances. For most Americans, going to church, even to the extent of reducing, going to church reduces mortality rates by 20 to 30 percent over a 15-year period. Research suggests that those who regularly attend services are more optimistic, have lower rates of depression, are less likely to commit suicide, have a greater purpose in life, are less likely to divorce, and are more self-controlled. That confirms what we already know to be true because of this. Jesus' words work. Jesus' words work because they're true, because he created us. Building our lives on Jesus' words works. It's not always perfect. We still struggle with things. We'll still encounter hard things. But in the end, Jesus' word works. The call here is to stop building on a different foundation. It's futile. It won't fulfill us. Build on Jesus. Maybe a couple of things are going through your mind right now. Maybe you're asking, I've obeyed Jesus and life still feels like it's falling apart on me. Maybe a couple of things to say to that. Maybe we need to honestly examine, have we truly obeyed Jesus according to his words? Maybe we need to be honest and own up to where we might have or we haven't built our lives on his words and then turn to him and experience his forgiveness and grace. Maybe we need to remind ourselves that building our lives on Jesus' words doesn't stop the storms coming. We will still feel beat up. Verse 25 says the person who builds their house on the rock will still get beat up. They'll still maybe be on the verge of feeling like everything's falling apart, but in the end, it won't. The angel of the north is still standing. It's withstood the wind and the rain and the storms because of the foundation it's on. If you're a Christian, then know that Jesus uses those difficult storms and seasons in life to mature us and refine us, yet we can be confident that he will never allow us to fall. He will preserve and strengthen us, even though we are weak. And we need to look to Jesus, who perfectly obeyed God. He ended up on the cross, physically beaten, literally physically beaten. God didn't abandon him then. God didn't abandon him. He was preserved through that. He was resurrected from death. So too you and I can be certain and confident that he will always preserve us. He will never abandon us, even through death itself. I've obeyed Jesus and life still feels like it's falling apart on me. Maybe you're thinking, my life seems like it's going okay without obeying Jesus' words. Really? Does, it, does this really make a difference? Kind of look at people around me who are not Christians and they seem to be doing okay. 
Well, storms will come on your life. We live in the same fallen world. Storms will come. Everyone's foundations will be exposed both in this life and on the final day. So maybe you need to be honest about how you've responded in those storms. And if you've just rebuilt your life on the same things that you did before, last time things went wrong, then don't expect what you're building to last again. Life might seem stable and easy, but you need to consider your end. Life in this world, in this life, might feel stable and easy for you right now, even though you're not obeying Jesus' words, but you need to consider your end. You need to think about that final day that Jesus pointed us to. In Psalm 73, which some of you will be familiar with, we see the psalmist wrestle with this very thing. He's a Christian. He's seeking God. He's looking around all these people who don't follow God, and he's saying, basically, how come they seem to have it so easy? How How come everything seems to be going okay for them? I'm following God. Doesn't seem to be making a big difference. But then he comes into the presence of the Lord and he remembers in verse 16 to 19, he says this, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Basically saying, I'm looking around, what difference is this making until I went into the sanctuary of God? Then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. If your life feels easy right now and you're doing it without Jesus, let me in love ask you to consider your end. Third question you might be asking, why should I even give Jesus' words a hearing, never mind trust and obey them? Why should I listen to them? The Bible's made up. It's all make-believe. It's a fairy tale. Why should I even give these words a hearing? Never mind, trust them and obey them. Well, that's what we see next. If I am wise, I will build my life on Jesus' words and secondly, bend my knee to Jesus' authority. Look down at verse 28 with me. We'll just read those verses again. And when Jesus finished saying these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So verse 28 really captures the initial response of the crowd that was uh, listening to Jesus. It captures the response uh, to all that he'd said uh, since the beginning of chapter 5. They were astonished at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. Okay, you think back to your days in school or maybe you're part of a, a sports team and there was always that teacher or there was always that coach who commanded authority when they spoke, right? You knew who you could push the boundaries with and you knew who you couldn't. Not that I ever did that. When those with authority spoke, you stopped and listened. And you responded in obedience. You did what they said. This is how they're responding to Jesus. They recognize that he is different. They recognize that he's authoritative. What made them think that way? Well, if you were tracking with all that we've been looking at, you would see why chapter 5, verse 17, he tells them he came to fulfill the law. That's a pretty bold statement. That's a pretty big statement for him to say. Verse 21 to 22, he basically reinterprets the law. You have heard it said, but I say to you. He sets himself in a position of authority. 
He was not like those who taught them ordinarily. They're scribes. Verse 29, he was different. But he's not just different. He doesn't just command the room. He's not just an alternative. He is divine. He is the Son of God. That's why we need to give His words a hearing. And not just give them a hearing, but trust them and submit to them. He's not just different, He's divine. Verse 21, we saw that. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, do you see what He's doing there? He's calling Himself Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. He's claiming to be the Son of God. In chapters 8 to 9, um, if you were to read on in Matthew, Jesus goes on to demonstrate the authority that's spoken about in verse 29 here. He goes on to demonstrate his divine authority through miracles and healing, miracles and healing which are historically and accurately recorded. These divine actions serve to attest or affirm his authoritative words. That's why we need to give him a hearing. That's why we need to respond in obedience. Acts 2 talks about this. Men of Israel, hear these words. Why should we hear these words? Why should you hear these words? Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders. And we sing about this at this time of year particularly. We sing about how Jesus is the authoritative divine Son of God. We talk about, we sing about Christ the Lord. We sing God of God, light of light. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Glory to the newborn king. And kings should be bowed to. This king above all. Building our lives on Jesus also means bowing our knee to his authority. And when it comes to his words, astonishment isn't enough. We must act. We can't listen to this king. We can't encounter this king and then just live as if nothing's changed. Your and my life must change. If we read our Bible, we read books, we listen to preaching, we sit here this morning and walk out that door and our only response is, wow, isn't that amazing? It's not enough. Yes, we should be amazed at Jesus and what he reveals to us, but we must act. We must obey. We must live this out. Recognizing this authority should do a number of things in our lives. It should humble us. He is king. We are not. He knows all. He knows what's best. He is worthy of our obedience. And it should humble us, particularly when Jesus says hard things which he has been saying. Our king is good. His ways are good. Doing the hard things is both necessary and worth it. Bowing the knee to Jesus' authority and building our lives on his words is not wearisome. It's not drudgery. It's not just the right thing to do. It's the best thing to do. It's the eternal thing to do. It should humble us and it should assure us so his authority should cause us to bend the knee, to bow to him, but it should assure us he can be trusted. 
His words are authoritative. He can be trusted. What he says is true. This is not make-believe. This is, just, this is not just a nice way to live. It means we can bank on him when the storms, storms come. It means that as we seek to build our lives on his words, it's not in vain. It's not wasted. It will work. Society and even our own hearts at times will tell us that building our lives on Jesus is foolish, even bigoted, hateful, but building our lives on Jesus, authoritative, eternal words is always relevant and totally worth it. And maybe as a church we consider, for all of us, that his authority is total. It's universal. And he talks again about his authority in Matthew 28 as he commissions his church to make disciples. It assures us personally and it assures us corporately as a church. His words can be trusted. They are true and they are worth building our lives on and they are worth pointing other people to to build their lives on. Jesus doesn't ask us to build our lives on him with no assurance. He demonstrates his authority, his identity, so we can bank our lives on him and so that we can gladly and joyfully bend our knee to him. Either we bend the knee now or we will, we will one day in the future. Now, bending the knee now leads to blessing and eternal life, then leads to judgment and eternal death. So if we are wise, if you and I are wise this morning, we will build our lives on Jesus's authoritative words. We will build our lives based on what he has already done for us in laying a gracious foundation through his life, death, and resurrection, upon which we can build our everyday lives and have eternal life. So let's do that. Let's do that. That's what he calls us to. Let's do that. Let's not just hear. Let's do. Let's act. Let's get this sermon, the last three months, all the things that Jesus has been doing in your heart, let's get them off the mount and apply them to our daily lives. And let's do that in the strength of the Spirit, with the help of one another, and the promise of forgiveness and grace for when we mess it up. Let me pray for us. Father, we're so grateful that we don't have to build our lives on ourselves. We're so grateful that you give us in Jesus something solid, certain, and eternal to rest upon, to build upon. Father, forgive us for how we so often build on our own lives, seek to build our own kingdoms, seek to refuse or reject your words, Father. Forgive us, draw us back by your Spirit, help our hearts to look to Jesus and to love him more, to obey him. Father, help us in those storms of life to stand firm, Help, help us in those seasons of suffering to remember that Jesus has got us. He won't let us fall. He won't fail us. Help us as a church as we continue to serve you and seek to live for you and to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples. Help us to do that on the authoritative, sure, and certain words of Jesus.
bear much fruit in our lives, bear much fruit in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.